This message is brought to you by Twelve Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers the teaching entitled, What's on My Mind? Should you need additional information, please go to twelvestone.com. There you will find many resources in the Watch a Message section, including this teaching in both audio and video formats. There is also an extensive archive of past teachings. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. So welcome to 12 Stone across the campuses. So glad that you are here for what's on my mind. I told you three weeks ago that uh, there will be times when I time out our series and just say, you know what, not really in the series. I just want to talk to you about what's on my mind. And that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weekends. And it, it, there's no pattern to this in particular. I mean, there'll be things that God's stirring in me, hopefully things that are beneficial to you and may may be encouraging to your faith. Sometimes it'll literally be designed to add courage to your faith and add some insight. Sometimes it'll it'll be cautions uh, whenever I do this. And and sometimes it'll be corrective and sometimes it'll be celebration. Sometimes it'll be random. I'll just talk about something. Okay, I'm done with that. Let me move on. And there won't be any near connection to two or three things I want to talk about. And I could do this in two more months. I could do it in six months. There's no pattern. Just, hey, this is what's on my mind. So let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. Number one, first thing that's on my mind is something that God is renewing. Something God is renewing. And I've been sitting in the Psalms in my own prayer times and devotions. And then I got stuck on Psalm 127. And it's a good stuck. Uh, I've, I've been spending quite a bit of time in there. And so I want to bring that to you. So take your Bibles across the campuses. You have Bibles you received on the way in or underneath your chair right here in the room. And, and turn over to page 617, 617. Uh, in your worship center Bibles. We're going to look at Psalm 127. If you're on a mobile device, it's Psalm 127. We'll look at the first couple of verses. Now, I want to set it up. David, we believe, is is the author, though some would say that Solomon authored Psalm 127, and there's evidence that would lean toward that. Uh, Others believe that that King David authored it. I'm going to teach from the King David uh, because there's enough evidence for it. We don't have time for the other thoughts. But, But David then as king would be writing to his son Solomon. And here's what's going on. David is transferring the kingdom. He's been building the kingdom for 40 years as the king. And now his son Solomon is 21 years old. And this is going to move from, the, from this great success of David to a great succession to his son. And what he knows is that his son is going to be consumed with the same things that consume us. He's consumed with, with, with the kind of work he has to do. There are things that, that he's just got to put labor in. That, that, that Solomon's life is going to be consumed with, with build. I mean, we're all, we're all trying to, to build things and consumed with protect and, and consumed with provide. Now, this is true in your life and my life. That we're, we're, we're trying to build things. We're trying to build a marriage and, and build a family. Try, trying to build our household and sometimes literally our own physical house. They're trying to build our career trying to build a business, trying to build a country. We're involved in building things. And that's the context of David's writing. But also, we're we're trying to protect things. We're trying to protect the ones that we love and the things that we value. Our our family, and so security is a big deal. And you put security in your homes, and and, and you put security on your car, and and you put it on your little password on your iPhone because you want to protect your information. And that's true in our nation as a whole. We, We want to be secure. So that's a big deal for us. It was for Israel. And then provide. But you get up early in the morning sometimes because you've got to get to work. You've got to provide for your family or, or for yourself. Right? You stay up late at times. And so David knows that his son, just like us, are consumed with these kinds of things. 
And David wants to make sure that when he transfers leadership, that the core of what it means to be consumed with these things is transferred to his son, Solomon. So, here we are in Psalm 127, just the first two verses. Unless the Lord builds the house. See, Solomon, what I need you to know is that unless the Lord's involved in this, everything's going to be in vain. I, I need you to learn this lesson. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he, God, grants sleep to those he loves. Let's go right back to it. David's saying, no, Solomon, you're going to be consumed with the things you have to build and protect and provide. In fact, the very first thing Solomon is going to do is build the new temple. In the time of David, the temple was much more of a tent layout, the, the place of worship, the place of the presence of God. There was an, uh, the, a fence to the outer court, and then you would, you would come in here, and this would be the altar of, uh, of incense, or, or rather the, the altar where they would offer sacrifices, and, and then there would be this tented tabernacle. And the first two-thirds of it was called the Holy Place, and then the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, the, the presence of God. And, and David's saying, now listen, Solomon, you're gonna, it's not going to be a tent anymore. You're going to build the actual temple. But, but, but this is not about religion. You're not just building a place for God. You're, 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 you're establishing the truth of a relationship. Listen, what, what I need you to know is that this isn't religion. This is a relationship. And that Solomon, God is intimately involved and you are ridiculously dependent. See, the thing that God has been renewing, I said God has been renewing something in me and that is it. Maybe that's the thing he wants to renew in you. That God is intimately involved and you are ridiculously dependent on him. And that's why David is saying, so, so know this, Solomon, that while you're involved in all this and you're gonna have to be involved in, in, in build, protect, and provide, but unless the Lord... See, unless the Lord, if you're taking notes, you want to jot this down, we got, I'm going to do dueling whiteboards and, and you keep up with what, whatever, jot down whatever is helpful to you. But he says, unless the Lord builds. See, Solomon, what you need to know is while you're building the temple, while you're building your household, while you're building all the things that are important to you in your life, know this, it's not all on you. See, God's intimately involved and you are ridiculously dependent on him, which means this, while you're taking all the pressure to build, unless the Lord builds, it's the Lord building plus the work you're doing, then all that you do is in vain. It'll come to nothing. It won't even work. Unless the Lord protects, you can walk the walls around Jerusalem for security, but unless the Lord protects, all that you're doing is ultimately in vain. It takes God's blessing and protection. And in fact, unless the Lord provides, all that you're doing to provide will be in vain. Because God is intimately involved. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. God is intimately involved. He's closer than you think. And you are ridiculously dependent on him. So practice dependence on him. You know, 12, so we've talked about that on many occasions. Let me just remind you of the way we describe this, that when you grow up in a physical world, you move from dependent to independent. How many of you are parents? Just hands up. You, you have kids. Well, then you know that when your kids are born, uh, they're adorable and you love them. Of course, you always love them, but there's such a dependency. And when they're in elementary school, it's like, oh my goodness, they're just, they're, they're so amazing. You can never imagine them leaving. 
And then they become teenagers. And they're so amazing, you could never imagine them staying. <laughs> you're like, go, go. Because what you're doing all along the way is moving them from dependent to independent. But the reason many of us struggle in our spiritual growth is because we're not aware that spiritual growth is the exact opposite. That you are independent from God and to grow up spiritually, you become more and more dependent on God. And David is concerned as he hands the kingdom over that Solomon uh, is at risk of being independent and building, protecting, and providing it as if it all lands on Solomon. And if he fails to understand that unless the Lord, none of this really works, unless the Lord builds, protects, and provides, this all breaks down. Don't go build the temple as if it's all on you. Don't, don't go protect Jerusalem as if Israel, as if it all depends on you. Don't go provide and work like it all. It, don't get all knotted up in your life as if it's all on you because God is intimately involved and you are ridiculously dependent on God. So practice this. St practice your dependence on God. And man, don't just fight for the things you build and provide and protect. You fight to stay dependent on God. Even fight to pray. See, David knew that in the early stages in places like 2 Samuel chapter 5, when he was battling with the Philistines when he became king, that he stopped and fought for prayer. And he did that, wholly intending and knowing that it would take God. And God says to David, as soon as you hear the footsteps in the treetops, man, go to battle with Philistines because then you'll know that I've gone before you. See, that's what God did for his sake and, and, and in favor. And God went ahead of him and he won against the Philistines, but it's because he was dependent on God. Don't you know that you need God to move in places in the treetops where, where you can't otherwise accomplish it on your own? I was in college and um, called the ministry, studying to be pastor. And, and, and in the midst of all that, um, I had a moment. I had a moment where I was stupid. Anyone ever have a stupid moment? Just hands up if you had, okay. So I'm not gonna feel alone. Uh, so I, I was driving the car and a friend pulled up next to me and he revved his engine. What does that mean? That means you have to race, you have no choice. I mean, it's, it's so, so it's, 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 it's a drag race, and I floored it, and he floored it, and it was only a block, but unfortunately, it was in a 25-mile-an-hour zone, and um, <laughs> that's a bit of a problem because it was near a church where kids were laying out at dust. Nobody got hurt, but there was an officer in the lot, and that's a problem, and he flipped on his lights, he took off after us, and so my friend went left, I went right, and I just, you know, uh, go, uh, have the officer go left, Lord, and, and he didn't, he went right. I mean, there's no answer to prayer there, how's that helpful? And he pulled me off, and I got one of those colorful, like, uh, lectures, uh, but it was more than that. He, he took my license, he said, uh, the car's going to be impounded, and you're going uh, to be arrested, and you're going to jail at least for one night or more, and now I'm terrified, because uh, at our college, ministry students uh, can't be arrested and stay in college. It's just one of those deals. So this is all going uh, badly for me. And um, in the midst of that, uh, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm collapsing. And I'm like, oh, dear God, I'm having a funeral. I'm not going to be in ministry anymore. I mean, this is all good. This is going to go horribly. Yeah, but what, what am I going to do? Dear God, help me. God, you got to rescue me. You can't help me. This is over. It's done. I blew it. I just, oh, dear God, I need, oh, I, I don't even want to pray. I'm, I'm just, I'm just falling. All cool was falling apart. And then a, a car pulled up behind the officer's car, and I heard the arguing. Uh, I could just hear because my window was open. I couldn't see anything because it was dusk. And then the officer jumped in his car and peeled away, and he was clearly ticked. And then this figure walked up to my uh, car, and he hands me the license, and he says, uh, Kevin, that was really, really stupid. 
never, ever, ever do that again. Now go home, have a nice day. And he walked away. It was a detective, a police detective, with whom I had done a case and a stakeout helping him two months before. I know, totally bizarre. And I'm like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. <laughs> I mean, my life was rescued. Now, I'm not encouraging, go do something stupid and then beg God to move in the treetops and do, okay, that's not, what I'm saying is, haven't you had moments where God's interrupted and God's done for you what you can't do for yourself? I mean, the kindness of God. See, we've had that happen as a church in multiple occasions for every campus. It's happening. It's happened for Buford Campus. Two, three years ago, uh, well, you know, we're trying to get in a Buford Campus, a 12-stone campus in Buford, and, and, and we have that lease thing that went ugly. If you remember that, it went sideways with the city, and we end up outside the city and renting at a school. We're like, what's going on here? And, and then God does something kind and amazing, and when he does that kind and amazing thing, we ended up with favor. And, and, and that favor is that the Buford City is building a new high school and they invite us to buy the land next door, which we did, and now we're going to be under construction breaking ground in June, this June, and we're going to move in the following August 2018. This is all favor. God had a better plan. See, don't you know when you're in the middle of something that God has a better plan and God does for you what you could not do for yourself? It's the kindness of God. And God did that for Buford campus. He's going to do it for the upcoming Bethlehem campus as we go navigate that. And he continues to do this among us. And David was saying to Solomon, Solomon, what you need to know is God is intentionally, intimately involved. Now you practice being just ridiculously dependent on him. Hey, maybe you just need to know again that it's not all on you. Don't get all knotted up like it's all on you in life. Don't go build and protect and provide as if all the pressure's on you. And that's something that God's been renewing. Okay, enough of that. Got no more time. Move on. Here's the second thing. What's the second thing that's on my mind? I'm glad you've asked. I'll tell you. It's something that God is shaping. So take your Bibles and turn over to Matthew chapter uh, 28. Matthew chapter 28. And here's the thing that God has been, if you, if you will, kind of, kind of shaping uh, in my thoughts, Matthew chapter 28, it's on page 1,000 in Worship Center Bibles, and uh, uh, page uh, 1,000, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20 is what we're going to read. And, and we're going to talk about the how and the why of the church. Uh, Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is not a building, it's not an organization, the church is ultimately people, right? In fact, say to your neighbor right now, just look at your neighbor, you're the church. Just, just tell them, you're, you're the church. All right. Just, so we remember, you're, you're the church. And, and, and then Jesus, after his uh, death, burial, and resurrection, comes to the disciples, and, and, and he defines for them uh, who we are and what we do. Verse 18, then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is who he is. He has all authority. Verse 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is what we're to do. It's who we are and what we do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching them to obey. To what, church? Obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And... 
I want to have a, a conversation. I don't want you to figure out where I'm going. I want you to just listen, if you will. Give me, some, give me some space here to talk through something that I think is actually helpful for us. This is kind of what's been on my mind and something God's been shaping. That what Jesus describes is, is that we as a church are involved in reaching, for his sake, spiritually lost people, and that's often called evangelism. Simultaneously, uh, we are to raise up, we are to become followers of Jesus Christ, and that is often called discipleship, and that's what the church does, evangelism, discipleship. Stay with me on this. So part of what's been stirring is that that means people who have zero interest in God, and, and, and we're involved in helping bring them into a moment of course, it's all the Holy Spirit, which we'll call moving them from zero to 10 uh, to a moment of salvation. And, and so we'll just call this kind of the line where you are born again, a new in Christ, made a new creation from death to life, and, and, and you have new life. We'll call that like at, at the 10, salvation. And then, of course, grow as followers of Christ to, to a 20. I don't know that we'll call this the spiritually mature. And who really knows what that is apart from Jesus? And so, so we're involved in helping people move from, from spiritually lost, have zero interest in, in, in God, to faith in Jesus to, to, to spiritually mature. And as I've thought about that, I tried to think, you know what, who have we always been as a church? How do we do evangelism, discipleship as a church? How do we move, help people move along that line? And, and it's, it's kind of just always been who we are on a weekend, not as a church in a whole, because the church has to be involved in the whole process, but how much can you get done on a weekend? What do, what do we do together on a weekend? And, and, and it's always been that we recognize that, that, that you know, we got about a bandwidth of, uh, of maybe from six to to, to 16 of what you can do on a weekend. Here's what I'm saying. When you gather in on a weekend, we can't speak to people who have zero interest in God all the way to the most mature, whatever that is, all at the same time because that bandwidth is just too large. You can't pull that off in 75 minutes. I think you get it whether you've ever thought about it or not. Huh. So where are you between this zero interest in God, 10 at salvation, and 20 the most mature? Where would you say you are on the scale? Maybe, are you a two? You're quite spiritually unresolved. Are you a five? Have you just come to faith in Jesus recently? You're a 10. Maybe you're a 12, a 14. Maybe you're, the mo maybe you're among the more mature. I'm like, oh, good. I don't know that I'm even a 19. Okay, but here's my point. Wherever you are, that's where you wish the weekend service would be. Does that make sense to you? And so your expectations are set. But have it, has it ever occurred to you that the church can't actually do zero to 20 all at the same time? And that every church kind of picks where they're going to be and, 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 and where they kind of hone in. And that we care about people coming to faith in Jesus, but we want to deepen ourselves spiritually and so that we kind of have this range. And something else I've noticed, and in, in, in kind of an observation, and that is that over the last many years, Bible knowledge, by people's understanding of the Bible has decreased every decade. Do you understand what I mean? Like in our nation, we are less biblically literate than, than, than we've ever been. Does that make sense to you? Like, like, like 40 years ago, maybe the average biblical literacy was, was, was right here to the, to the right. The average person maybe knew that much, and after 30 years, we know less, and after 20 years, less, and, and, and 10 years, maybe. Maybe we're here, and, and, and maybe today the average person's biblical knowledge is way to this side. People don't grow up in Sunday school. They don't have a, an understanding of the Bible. And, and here's what that means to us. Why am I saying this? Because we've always been a church committed to growing believers in Christ, but also reaching people who are far from Christ. But when the church started, um, maybe what was once a six or a seven in their Bible knowledge and in and, and their nearness to God, maybe they're more like a, a, a two 
or a three. Because we're less biblically educated as a nation than we've ever been. And the only way to make up the gap between where people are and where we begin on a weekend is a relationship. It's a what, church? A relationship. See, I know we can't speak to where everybody is on, on, on a weekend. I know we're limited. You know we're limited. But maybe, maybe this relationship that you have with people who are near you but far from God becomes more important than it ever has in this country. And, and that this is, is where you, we together live intentionally at a whole new level. And maybe this is where we love unconditionally at a whole new level. And maybe this is where we give answers uh, clearly at a whole new level. In fact, I'm convinced that the conversations of how we relate to a spiritually unresolved world has got to be more and more intentional. We've got to be more engaged in this. Maybe got to do a better job in helping all of us figure out how do you live intentionally, love unconditionally, and answer clearly. And by the way, that's that's where we're going to go next week just a little bit. Kind of what's on my mind part two. While I say that, um, there's an awareness then that when you begin to invite them into life of the church, your relationship just helps carry it all along and we engage in dialogue together as a, a, as a church and we help navigate that journey with you and become part of the conversation. But equally, we help people grow up spiritually and, and, and here's the point. People say, well, what, what, what about how, how you grow beyond 16, 17, 18, 19, 20? And I, I don't know who, what, what it really means to live out there, but I'll just say this, that every weekend we talk truth. And, and because we talk the truth, truth is always truth. And so you hear truth at your own level of maturity. And that we recognize that in the midst of this, that we have set up things like small group. Because small group are, is part of how you grow spiritually and become mature. And that it can't all happen on a weekend. In fact, if your only spiritual plan to grow up and mature in Christ is the weekend, it's going to be very limited. Not even the early church did that. In the book of Acts, the early church, they would gather together and the, and, and the weekend kind of a thing and Sunday, but then they would gather together in small group in homes because, because God designed you to be in an environment like a small group. That's where you grow up spiritually. Can't get it all done on a weekend. Couldn't possibly. And that's why we offer things like, like biblical studies uh, that, that uh, put you in places here, way out here in the 16, 17, 18, 19 level for you to grow up spiritually. Here's my whole point. Because of the reality uh, that, that every church has to figure out who we, how are we going to do this evangelism discipleship thing, that because of this biblical knowledge that is less and less clear and people are less and less biblically literate, that you're going to sense my commitment to invest more time on the weekends to give biblical context. And I think we're all gonna benefit from that. I mean, you'll sense, like, even over the more series, did you sense how, like, I went into the story of Moses and I gave more background and then connected it biblically and brought it into the real world? And I think that we're all gonna benefit a little bit more from that. You'll sense how we invest in that in the weeks and the months to come. And I think it not only helps those who are spiritually unresolved, which is kind of like, you know, when I give a Bible scripture and I say it's over on page 1,000, right? When I did that 15, started doing that 15 years ago, it was really for people who were spiritually unresolved that I knew were among us. But also I recognize that it's now, because biblical information literacy is less and less, it's now even for people who are believers and follow Christ. Some of you are like, hey, I need that page number. I have no idea where we are yet. 
Because you didn't grow up in, in Sunday school and memorizing uh, the books of the Bible. Maybe that's helpful. So, so we're going to go deeper into things in the Bible while I contextualize it, make it more helpful. And, and maybe you've never thought about what it means for us to be involved in evangelism, discipleship. But that's kind of some things that have been on my mind and how God is shaping and helping us become. And we're going to pick up next week on the implications of people who are far from God but near us. All right, that's enough of that. I'm done with that. I'm going to talk about the next one. You ready? Here, here's the next thing that's on my mind. This is something God's been challenging. So let, let, me just, let me just have you turn with me over to Ephesians. Grab your Bibles and turn with me over to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. If you already have your Bibles, it's on page 1175. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own on the way out, just across any of our campuses, go to the guest information and they'll, 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 they'll give you a, a Bible as our gift to you. If, if you're uh, kind of using a mobile device, it's Ephesians chapter 4, Worship Center Bibles, it's page 1175. And I wish we had time for the first 13 verses, but, but what we have time for is, is to read verse 14 on. Because... You know what? There's a lot of conversations as to what is spiritually deep. What does it mean to go deep? What does it mean to mature in Christ? And, and if you're in the faith journey, like, what does it mean for me to go to new places in Christ? Well, look at verse 14. Paul wrote, then we will no longer be infants. No longer be what? Infants. He's talking spiritually. Now, you're, you're, you're a physical adult, but, but spiritual infants that there's a place of spiritual immaturity that you want to move beyond because this brings all the blessing and the power and the, the move of God in your life. So he describes it. There will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In other words, listen, there is a place where you need to know God's word and God's truth and the Bible. If we don't help you understand the Bible and know the whole counsel of God, you won't know the truth, and this is the only thing that'll help you. It's why you'll sense a little bit greater commitment to putting context in this. Otherwise, everything that the world says you're gonna buy and believe, you're not gonna know how to filter it. So don't be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the, and the cunning craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in what, church? In love. See, this is what holds everything together. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up and become, in every respect, the mature body. You see that? They're like, this is a journey of becoming mature. Of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined together, held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and builds itself up. There it is again, in love. In what? In love, as each part does its work. See, this thing called the church only works with love. And, and, the, and God is growing us up. And have you ever thought about what does it mean, then, for us to mature. What is spiritual maturity? What does it mean to, to get to this end, so to speak, and say, oh, I've become spiritually mature? Well, I, God's been challenging a definition of maturity, and I want to throw it out there. I think it actually be, be helpful for, for us in our thinking. I think it's three things in one. It's not, it's one thing, but I'm going to divide it into three different distinct expressions to make it accessible. But here's what I'm saying. If you pick any one of the three, it immediately becomes immaturity. It's never just one. It's one thing in three. But if you separate those three apart and you just pick one of the three, I think it becomes immaturity. Here, let, let, let me see if I can make sense of this. The first is spiritual intimacy. And if you're a note taker, you might want to jot it down. Spiritual intimacy. The second is biblical knowledge. 
This is what it means to become mature spiritually in Christ. The third is holy obedience. Now, what do those actually mean? Well, spiritual intimacy is all about the heart. Say it with me. It's all about the what? Heart. The, what, the spiritual intimacy is experiencing God. See, God is not an it or a thing. God is a person. You have a relationship with God. That's why scripture always uses the language to to have your heart for God. It it means there's feeling, there's emotion, there's affection in worship. You're in a relationship with God. And so spiritual intimacy is part of what it means to mature. But along with it, it's more than spiritual intimacy. There's biblical knowledge. And this is all about the mind. Say it with me. This is about your what? This is the mind. This is the truth of God. So you gotta have the truth of God. It, it's not just a, a, an emotion or a feeling, but, but you need the whole counsel. So that's why you gotta know the Bible. It's why you gotta understand. It's why you gotta be a student of the Bible. It's, it, it's why even our commitment to it is gonna continue to increase, even contextualize, because you gotta go to places that you can only get if you understand the truth of God. But it's more than that. It's also holy obedience. And that's all about the will. Say it with me. That's all about your what? Your will. This, this is where you surrender to God. This is holy obedience. It, it, this is really doing the will of God. It, it's, it's walking in the way of God. It's not enough that you know it. You actually have to be do it. What if you're not mature? I mean, what if you really don't know it until you can do it? This is what you do. This is the action. Now, th- think about those. If, if you, if spiritual maturity is, is all three of those it engages the heart, it engages the mind, it engages the will to surrender to him. Then what we're at risk of and what's dangerous is whenever you, you separate those out from the others. See, when somebody says their brand of spiritual maturity is, 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 is spiritual intimacy, number one, without number two and number three. In other words, it's, 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 it's heart, it's experiencing God without Bible knowledge and without obedience. So, so if you're not a real good student of the Bible and, and you don't really surrender to him, and, th- and that's just experience, what this becomes is emotionalism. Oh, now it's starting to connect for some of you. Oh, yeah, see, see, there's almost a brand of people that talk about spiritual maturity and depth as emotionalism, which means it's all about feeling. So if I feel that I'm spiritually mature and they chase the feeling, they don't really chase God, they chase the experience of the emotion of the feeling, and only then is it deep. And, and then, and then if, 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 you, if, if you pick biblical knowledge, but you do that to the neglect of, of one and three, to the neglect of spiritual intimacy and holy obedience, then you end up with intellectualism. See, you, you, you have this academic understanding of the Bible, but it's just information. See, Bible trivia and information becomes the, the power of being, oh, oh, now I'm mature. And the danger of that is that creates a certain spiritual superiority. And there are all groups of people, there are whole groups that, that decide, you know what, the mark of real maturity is Bible knowledge. And if that's without heart and without your will surrender, it's really dangerous. And see, and if, if you pick holy obedience without one and two, Without real intimacy of the heart, without knowledge with your mind, then you end up with legalism. See, legalism is where some end up as spiritual maturity and they make their own list as to what it really means to, to, to follow uh, God by their list. And that's how you can end up with people who say, man, I stand against and march against sexual sin while they're engaged in gossip and gluttony. Because they just made up their own list, a little bit of God's, but all of their. 
And, then, and, and, and how some people are like, oh man, I've, I don't have a problem with gluttony. And it's, I don't know how you could. But then they're over here in sexual sin and living with each other unmarried. I mean, you end up with a legalism that is dangerous and undoing. See, what if being spiritual mature is all three in one, where you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your will, and that's as a result of God loving you, you love God, and it's experientially powerful. How does this work out? There's a guy at 12 Stoner whose name is John. It's actually not his name, but with his permission, I'm gonna share his story and share it with you. John uh, joined a small group of men and knowing that um, he couldn't get to places spiritually without being in a group, couldn't get it all on the weekend, but the weekend grows him spiritually, but there's more that God wants to do simultaneously. You gotta be in relationship. And, and here's what John confessed, and it, I thought this was courageous, and I think we feel, he said, sometimes I think I'm missing something. Do you ever feel like that spiritually? Like, what am I missing? Like, other people seem to get revelations. Other people seem to experience God in places I don't. I mean, what am, what am I missing? And he got in this group of men, and the leader said in the group, hey, why don't we just uncomplicate it? Why don't we just uncomplicate it? Say it with me. Why don't we just what? Uncomplicate it. Like, don't use formula. Don't even get lost, church, in the stuff I'm teaching on this three-in-one. Don't get, don't get lost in a formula. Don't, don't manage God. Just uncomplicate it, which would, might feel like, like this. Just take a walk. Just stop trying to manage God and interrupt what you're trying to build and protect and provide and take a walk with God. And just practice depending on God and fight for time to be with God. Take a walk and talk with God. That's it. Just uncomplicate this. And so that's what they talked about in the group. He said, all right, I'm just going to start doing it. So he was traveling, he ended up a, Ham, uh, a Hampton Inn, and he said, okay, hold it, you know, I, I'm not gonna manage God, I'm just, because God has to be the one that, that does this. So, so he said, I just took a walk, and I walked outside, and, and I found that there was a pond back there, and I'm taking a walk around uh, kind of the pond, and, and he says, well, just by pulling away and talking to God and attending to God, something is shifting in my soul and the creation. And then he said, while I'm walking, I see this guy on the other side of the pond, and I feel a little pull and a prompt, like God saying, uh, I want you to go talk to that guy. And he said, and immediately, I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like, like, like the, you want God to do something and show himself to you and prompt you. And then when he does, you're like, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's like, I want to go walk and talk with God. But then as soon as God prompts something, you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that. He said, well, what would I say to the guy? He doesn't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to say to the guy. God, I don't know what you want. So he goes through this dialogue and this battling with God. And God says, no, walk around the pond. Walk to the guy I want you to talk to. But I don't know what I'm going to say. Right. Just, just do what I'm telling you to. Listen. Okay. So he said, so I start walking. He said, now, usually I walk fast, but I walk so slow. I mean, I walk slow. I'm like, dear God, if the guy isn't there when I get there, then it wasn't you. <laughs> and he's kind of hoping the guy isn't there. Do you ever hope that? Like back in the day, we used to knock on doors when we were starting 12 Stone. And I said, oh God, change somebody's life. Uh, help, help me. And then literally, I found myself going to people's doors saying, I hope nobody answers. Like all at the same time, like you want to see something happen, but then you, you, you don't know what you're going to do. And he said, I got to the other side, and the guy was still standing there. And he said, so I was like, hey, um, excuse me. I'm sorry to interrupt. And uh, this is going to feel a little awkward, but I'm on a, a prayer walk. <laughs> and I was talking to God, and I felt like he told me to talk to you. He said, man, the guy looks at me like dumbfounded. Like, seriously? <laughs> he said, now I'm just like, I'm a mess. Oh, no, what am I going to do? John doesn't know what he's going to do. And, and the guy said, well, 
let me just tell you, so I, I'm standing here, I just came from a men's group uh, at my church, and um, I'm really confused and frustrated. I don't feel like we care for each other. I don't think we, we have concern for each other. And I, I, I was asked to read a scripture. I read the wrong one. I felt stupid. I felt condemned. I felt like they cried, like, what's wrong with you? And, and then something else happened afterwards. And I walked away, and I'm just standing out here alone saying, I don't even know if I believe all this stuff. And, 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 and God, I feel foolish. And why don't we have concern for each other? And he said, and you walked up. And John says, while, while this was happening, John's got like tears flowing. John's like, man, I never cry. I'm like a man's man. I don't cry. And if I get a little tear, you can just wipe it. It's, it's not even a big deal. And he says, while the guy's talking, I'm crazy. I feel stupid. And yet at the same time, God's overwhelming. I said, man, can I pray for you? And he said, I put my hands on this guy. I don't even know him. And I prayed. And I don't even know what I prayed. I just prayed. I said, oh, God, have, you know, encourage this man. And, and then the guy gave me a big bear hug. We hugged each other. And like we'd known each other for 30 years and walked away. And he said, now I'm like, that's what they're talking about. That's what it means to have an experience. Isn't that a powerful story. Man, John just being honest about the moment. I'm like, John, that's it. You don't manage God, but you have to take the walk and then you have to walk around the pond. In fact, I love it. John, John told me because he told his leader the story. The leader told me the story and then I asked for permission. I talked with John. He said, yeah, you can share. He said, man, then I told my wife, hey, PK might share my story and I hope I don't get a big head. And she says, why would you? You didn't do anything. God did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. See, this whole thing, listen, church, let's not complicate it. This whole thing works because God loves us, not because we love God. With all our heart, with all our mind, with all our will. And it's held together by love because that allows us to love one another, which is how we do things together in the church. And then that produces a love for the people who are spiritually far from God but near us. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. What does it mean to be those kind of people? So as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, uh, maybe there's some things you need to respond to that God is stirring in you like he's been stirring in me. Maybe it's to renew that God is intimately involved and you are ridiculously dependent on him. Are you getting all knotted up, building and providing and protecting the things in life that matter, when really if you would practice dependence, you would find out God's very near? Maybe it's to reshape how we do church. I know that can be a challenging, complicated conversation, but listen, church, our calling is clear, but it's complicated. Because we could be a church that's just for the church and, and, and only have our conversations among each other when we gather in, but I, I can't do that because there really is a hell. Because eternity's on the line for lost people, and they have to matter to us. And Jesus lived like there was a hell. He died like there was a hell. And everything's on the line for people who are far from him, and he loves him. And at the same time, we don't sit all the way over in just a church for just people who are far from God and only have conversations of friendship and never get to the truth because I can't pretend there is no truth. We're going to be friends with people who are spiritually unresolved, but we're eventually going to have conversations of truth. And we sit in that place. What does it mean for us to be holy the church? Maybe God wants to shape some of that in you. Maybe next week is going to be an important conversation. And just maybe you need to rethink the challenge of what it means to be spiritually mature. Hey, maybe it's not just what you feel. Maybe it's more. Maybe it's you need to be a more a student of God's word. Maybe it's not just the information, though. You gotta be able to do it. What is God forming in you? So we wanna pray for you. So bow your heads with me. Father, would you in your kindness and in your mercy take the weight of the things you've been stirring in me because I think you've been stirring them for all of us and would you apply them set them into our lives. 
See, God, some of us right now are going to have a conversation with you. We all will, but for some of us, the conversation is, uh, God, I'm all knotted up thinking that it all depends on me. And the, we're just consumed with the pressure of building things in our life, in our career, and protecting the ones that we love and the things that matter to us. And we're consumed, God, with really honestly trying to provide. And it's all in vain unless we know that you're intimately involved and we're ridiculously dependent. Some of us right now are going to have to do more to fight to pray and make time and depend on you in new ways. Would you renew that in us than we have before? Maybe others of us right now are saying, God, for me, uh, I don't spend time thinking about the calling of the church and evangelism and discipleship. And I haven't considered what it means for, for me to, to be on a weekend where you grow me up and we get in the word or what it means for me to care about spiritually lost people and, and, and really bridge the gap and, and live intentionally and love unconditionally and answer clearly. And this is going to be new. God, uh, God, draw me into the calling of your kingdom and, and, and you've put things in me. God, I, I, I want to be all in on the things that you have for your kingdom. And maybe, God, you're reshaping that in some of us. Maybe right now some of our prayers are just that we have had a really poor definition of maturity. Maybe for some of us it's been all on emotionalism and you want to balance that off. Maybe some of us it's been all information and we're academic when we're not mature just because we know it, we have to be able to do it. Maybe for some of us there's a surrender required and we just need to take the walk and then walk around the pond. And right now, we're not walking around the pond. There's things you've asked of us, and we need to take the walk around the pond. Maybe that's where we are. Would you seal this in our soul and accomplish in us the very things you desire to do, I pray in Christ's name. And everyone agreed, saying, amen.